1: Thanks to you at home for joining us this hour. Former President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, got some marching orders today. The judge overseeing special counsel Jack Smith's case into Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election, Judge Tanya Chutkin. Today, she laid out some new rules for the former president as far as the next phase of his criminal indictment. When Mr. Trump wants to go over sensitive evidence like witness emails or audio recordings of witness testimony, he is not allowed to bring anything into the room with him that could be used to copy that sensitive material, like a smartphone, if Trump is reviewing this material on his own. Or alternatively, Trump can take his phone with him, but his defense counsel has to babysit him to make sure he does not copy anything onto his phone. And if the defendant takes notes regarding sensitive materials, the defense counsel must inspect those notes. So it's sort of like the SATs, only it's all part of a federal criminal indictment. As the prosecution argued for that provision, they noted dryly and pointedly, Trump has shown a tendency to a desire to hold on to material which he should not have. Yes, that is correct. Trump was caught having taken more than 300 classified documents with him to his Florida beach house when he left the White House. Now, the reason this all had to be ironed out today is because special counsel Smith's team is going to start handing Trump's team evidence to review before they all go to trial. And those rules are part of a much larger protective order that Judge Chutkin issued today outlining what evidence Trump cannot share from this case outside of court. And we learned as part of all of this that there is a lot of evidence to be handed over. The government is ready to hand over 11.6 million pages of documents, all preloaded onto a discovery software for attorneys to review, and a hard drive that has evidence, like data obtained through the Stored Communications Act. That means data that was collected by third-party companies like Twitter or, say, Verizon. But maybe... Most intriguingly on that hard drive are hundreds of audio recordings of witness interviews that the government is ready to hand over. And you could imagine how threatening or intimidating it would be if Trump did something like post snippets from those recordings onto, say, Truth Social. So the point of today's hearing was to iron out all of the rules around that stuff before Trump could get his hands on any of it. And what was revealed in the course of all of this is that Judge Chutkin Very much has Donald Trump's number. She knows who she is dealing with here. When the judge was, well, while she was clear about defending Trump's actual First Amendment rights, she was also appropriately skeptical about Trump's arguments for special treatment. He is a criminal defendant, Judge Chutkin said. He is going to have restrictions like every single other defendant. The fact that the defendant is engaged in a political campaign is not going to allow him any greater or lesser latitude than any defendant in a criminal case. To drive this home, Judge Chutkin referred to Trump's presidential campaign as his, quote, day job, his day job. Okay. so in addition to showing that Donald Trump was not going to get any white glove treatment here in this courtroom, Judge Chutkin also made clear that Trump's rights were not the only rights that she is concerned with. She is focused on the rights and the safety of the witnesses and the jurors in this case. You may remember that part of the reason for today's hearing in the first place was to discuss this, this truth social post that Trump made saying, if you go after me, I'm going after you. Special counsel Jack Smith's team argued that statements like these could threaten or intimidate witnesses and that Trump should be barred from making them. Earlier this week, Trump let everyone know what he would do in response to a restriction like that.
2: Crooked Joe now wants the thug prosecutor, this deranged guy, to file a court order taking away my First Amendment rights so that I can't speak. So listen to this. We don't want you to speak about the case. The case. I will talk about it. I will. They're not taking away my First Amendment rights.
1: I will talk about it. I will. I will. Points for honesty, I guess. Today, Judge Chudkin indicated that she was not down for that. She pointed out that the potential witnesses here may not have had the kinds of protections that he has as a former president and that she, quote, could see the possibility for a lot of problems here. I can see the possibility for a lot of problems here. Don't we all, Judge Chudkin? Remember when former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich testified against Trump in his first impeachment in 2019? While she was testifying, Donald Trump was live tweeting about her. Or do you remember when he harassed and intimidated Georgia poll workers Ruby Freeman and Shay Moss, women who do not have Secret Service protection and could very well be witnesses in this very case? They remember that. And so apparently does Judge Chutkin who was clear today that she would not stand for that kind of behavior or any kind of behavior that even suggested witness intimidation. Quote, even arguably ambiguous statements from parties or their counsel, if they could be reasonably interpreted, interpreted to intim- intimidate witnesses or to prejudice potential jurors, can threaten the process. Now, given how frequently Trump threatens people publicly and the judge's wording about even arguably ambiguous statements— That feels like a line that Trump could cross any second. And as of today, we finally have an answer as to how Judge Chutkin will reprimand Mr. Trump if he does cross this line. Quote, the more a party makes inflammatory statements about this case, which could taint the jury pool or intimidate potential witnesses, the greater the urgency will be that we proceed to trial quickly. One of the main objectives of Trump and his legal team so far has been to slow this trial down. Today, the judge used that desire as both a carrot and a stick. The more Trump breaks Judge Chutkin's rules and talks about the case outside of court, the faster this thing will go to trial. So now that those ground rules have been put in place, the new and very urgent question is how long until Trump breaks them? Joining me now to discuss all this is David Aaron, former prosecutor in the DOJ's National Security Division and a former Manhattan assistant district attorney, and Ryan Riley, NBC News justice reporter who was inside the courtroom for today's hearing. Thank you both. Ryan, let me start with you. On paper... It feels like Judge Chutkin is sort of a, a, a wet, not a wet blanket, but a cold dose of reality, perhaps, to some of the fantasies that the defense team has been having about the case they could make to her on a number of fronts. What, what can you tell us about her general posture towards the defense today?
3: There's definitely a lot of side-eyes, I think, from some of the uh, lines that we saw coming uh, from Donald Trump's defense. But really, the word of the day to me, I think, that she used six different times was yield. And that means that the defendant's other rights, his First Amendment rights, must yield to the process of this court, must yield to the administration of justice. And that basically saying, listen, all these concerns you have— plain second fiddle here. They are not the, pro- the my main concern. My main concern is making sure this case goes forward, making sure uh, that this case is handled fairly, and making sure that we can get it to jury trial. And like you said, it was that carrot-and-the-stick sort of situation where, you know, there is, theoretically, in any other case, you would have that idea of potential contempt uh, of court coming down. And that is something here. But, of course, you know, it's hard to imagine us getting to a scenario where we're going the uh, where the judge is actually going to lock up Donald Trump pre-trial, uh, but that is potentially something that would go down the line. But I do think that that could be uh, a better way of sort of enforcing this. Judge Shuckin saying, "Listen, the more that you violate these rules, the quicker we're going to have to go here." And there's a very logical reason for that because. Future comments could spoil the jury pool and make it more difficult uh, to get a fair trial going in here. Of course, Donald Trump doesn't want this case uh, to go to trial um, in D.C., but the rules in D.C. are, hey, we're going to try to see the jury. And that hasn't worked in any of the January 6 cases that I've covered uh, thus far, where that's just really been shot down and that the voir dire process can actually work. If you have jurors swear an oath and pre- and promise that they will obey that oath, they can handle these cases fairly.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like she really went for the defense's Achilles heel by suggesting, not talking about fines, not talking about jail time, but talking about the thing that they do not want to do, which is have a speedy trial. Dave, what is involved in—I mean, I guess for those of us who don't understand the, the sort of length of time that is minimally required to have a, a federal trial, I mean, how— How reasonable is it to say, I'm going to move this date up the more you infringe on sort of the protective order? Like what 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 practically can that mean?
4: I I think there are limits to what it practically can mean. I mean, it's not as though every time there's a violation, the trial date gets ratcheted two weeks earlier. You know, that that would just not be workable. I I think it's it's more of a a thematic or general point the judge is making that, you know, there are inevitably moments uh, leading up to a trial when schedules have to get altered one way or another. And one thing that the judge is going to be thinking a lot about is the costs of delay. And here the judge talked very explicitly about a very, very significant cost of delay that could be fundamental to the fairness and efficiency of the trial.
1: Um, Ryan, I was struck by the fact that she sort of dismissively suggested that the president's candidacy, sorry, the former president's uh, bid to be president again was a day job. I mean, up until this point, I think that there has been a sort of deference, at least um, in terms of uh, narrative to Donald, the idea of Donald Trump's campaign in 2024. But Judge Chutkin seemed completely uninterested in that. And I wonder how that squares with her posture generally towards other January 6th defendants
3: yeah that was very interesting. I think she was sort of searching for a term or a word at the moment, and that's what she sort of stumbled on and it you know is probably an accurate description and that's probably how she thinks of it in terms of uh other cases that are handled right like this isn't something that he needs to do. this is something that he wants to do right The priority she kept uh saying was the courtroom proceedings. The priority isn't litigating this case in public. That's not what this trial is ultimately about. And that's what she really wants them to get their focus on. And certainly they have uh, the First Amendment right to talk about uh, the charges in general. But she really wanted to make it clear that you cannot violate those uh, those rules and vi- and you know intimidate uh, intimidate jurors as we've seen Donald Trump do um, in the past and it's interesting because I do think that the judge is in a in quite a spot here in terms of some of these threats are certainly going to be directed at her. Donald Trump has already made clear that he wants a different judge and that she shouldn't have been uh, assigned to this that's not something that you hear his lawyers arguing in court and that's something that the special counsel's office pointed out that there's already this divide between what Donald Trump is saying on Truth Social and what his lawyers are actually doing in court. And that's going to probably be a split that she would probably like to bring in a little bit. Right. And bring them back on the same page. Um, but really, ultimately, I think that there is this huge combination happening right now between the legal and the political where it really is the whole ball game. I think when this trial ultimately mm. gets set for because they're sort of wanting to make the election stand in for a jury trial here.
1: Yeah, clearly, for many reasons. Right. Uh, you know, Dave, I'm struck by Ryan's, um, you know, when we talk about the, the, the various judges postures to towards Donald Trump and how Trump would like a different judge on this. Presumably, he'd some, like someone more like Eileen Cannon. And I think what we have, what the American public has right now is a study in terms of two federal judges. Right. One, Eileen Cannon, thus far in all her rulings, has seemed deeply, deferential to the fact that Donald Trump is running for president. And here we have Tanya Chudkin in Washington, D.C., who's taken almost the opposite tack, as Ryan explained, just kind of a so what if you're running for president? I I mean, I guess my question is, which is which do you think is more unusual in terms of staking out a position towards this uh, 2024 presidential bid?
4: Meadon. It's unusual for a judge to have to take a position on the uh, on the defendant <laughs> yeah. running for president, of course. Um, I, I think what we're seeing in D.C. is is a reflection of the truth in every criminal case where the defendant has plenty of other things to do and plenty of other things going on in their life rather than show up in court, abide by uh, court rulings, um, you know, obey the judge's orders. Um, but the judge is really having none of that in D.C. Um, and, you know, that that's that's again, that's that's playing it down the middle. Um, there has been, I think, a little bit of flexibility, um, given the, the realities of the position that the former president is in and some of his needs to be able to speak. But when it comes to anything that would affect The the fairness, uh, efficiency, um, witness safety, witness security, integrity of evidence, Uh, this judge is going to be applying the exact same rules that she would be applying in any other case. And I think as an experienced former public defender, uh, this judge has seen quite a lot. She's seen a lot of defendants. She knows a lot of how, you know, different defendants behave, some of their tricks, some of uh, the pitfalls of how defendants might behave, and she knows what control has to be exercised over a defendant consistent with that defendant's First Amendment and due process rights.
1: Can I just follow up on that, Dave, in terms of the protocols that she's established here? The notion that Trump has to have his defense counsel babysit him effectively when he's looking at sensitive material, that they have to check his notes if he takes any when he's looking at the materials. How unusual is that?
4: You know, it was it was in the prosecutor's proposed order. um, And you know, on on in my former career, uh, you know, in the context of classified information, that was definitely the kind of thing that that you'd see in there. What what really struck me here was the red line version that the defense proposed to the judge, where they sought to strike out explicitly that that chaperone or or, or babysitting or, or hall monitor uh, provision, and the judge. You know, this isn't just the judge accepting a, a document that was presented to her and signing it. This was this exact clause was litigated. This was redlined and the red line was rejected. So this judge, you know, regardless of how, how it might go in any other case, this judge was squarely presented with the question of does she have confidence enough to allow the former president of the United States to take notes that are appropriate. And this judge decided no, that the the judge only has confidence that the or would only have that confidence if if the defendants, if the former president's attorneys scrubbed his notes and made sure that he hadn't mm-hmm. written down anything he wasn't allowed to.
1: I think John Loro probably doesn't want to have to be the person to scrub Donald Trump's notes. Ryan, I do have to ask you, speaking of Trump's lawyers, they kept repeatedly referring to uh, this vol- a group of volunteer lawyers who might need to be granted access to this, spe- this evidence that they were litigating in court today. Why is the Trump team using volunteer lawyers? I ask that because the New York Times is reporting that Trump's super PAC, which has thus far been footing a lot of the legal bills here— is in a cash crunch. Are we to believe that Trump is running out of money and needs to use volunteer layers in this case?
3: He's certainly raising a lot of money off of these cases though, know, altogether. But I think that you know could be an issue for him because he does have a lot of legal issues. And remember, he's paying for uh, the representations of a lot of these people who are caught up, especially in both investigations, but who have been caught up both in the Mar-a-Lago investigation uh, as well as this investigation overall to sort of keep them in the tent, um, make sure they're not sort of stepping outside the bounds. And, you know, the, the way that they would sort of frame that is that making sure that if perhaps young staffers aren't having their financial. Lives destroyed uh, because, you know, they represented, they worked for the president at one point. But, you know, that's going to that's gonna eat up a lot of money. That's going to be a lot of billable hours that uh, people can put in there. And that's really, they are kind of in this moment right now where I do think they're burning through a lot of money. And, you know, certainly there are a lot of people who would probably be willing to do that uh, for free in some capacity. But it's a lot of documents that they're going to have uh, to sort through here. And I think just manpower is really going to be uh, needed to get through some of this, a, a tremendous amount of discovery.
1: Yeah, 11.6 million pages. For the record, the Super PAC is using roughly 30 cents of every dollar donated to spend on legal bills. Dave Aaron and Ryan Riley, thank you guys both for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We have a lot more this evening, as we always do, from Wiretaps the savings and loan scandal, what Donald Nixon, Billy Carter, Roger Clinton, Neil Bush, and other presidential family members have in common with Hunter Biden and also what they don't. That's coming up next.
0: When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.
5: Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
1: Today, the Justice Department opened a special counsel investigation into President Biden's son, Hunter. Now, the Delaware U.S. attorney who has been investigating Hunter Biden since 2018, he had been ready as of last month to offer Hunter Biden a plea deal that would let him avoid jail time for tax and firearm charges. But that plea deal fell apart at the last minute, and today, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that that same U.S. attorney has now asked to be appointed as a special counsel so as to continue investigating this case. We do not know what that investigation will yield, and so far there is no evidence that the president himself was involved in any of his son's allegedly shady deals. But if there is one thing we do know, it is that scandals involving the family members of sitting presidents is not a new phenomenon. Remember Donald Nixon, the brother of President Nixon, who is known for trying to make money off his brother's presidency. As Politico magazine pointed out in 2015, Richard Nixon was so worried about his younger brother Donald's willingness to trade the family name for business favors that early in his presidency, he had the Secret Service put a tail on him and tap his phone, which is an amazingly Nixonian way to deal with your shady brother. There was Billy Carter, the colorful, beer-swilling brother of Jimmy Carter, who created an enormous headache for his brother's administration when he got taking money from the government of Libya.
6: The shadow of Billy Carter's dealings with the government of Libya fell across his brother's White House again today. In a news conference in
4: New York this morning, the president's brother made it plain he was not happy about the statement made by the president yesterday. I don't agree, Billy Carter said, that it was inappropriate for me to act on
1: behalf of a foreign government.
7: He was my brother. I wouldn't be going through this this morning and yesterday. As I've said earlier, you can choose your friends, but you damn sure can't choose your kin,
1: a Senate committee investigated and found no evidence that Billy Carter had influenced American policy. Then there was Neil Bush, the son of George H.W. Bush and brother to George and Jeb. During his father's administration, Neil Bush wound up getting sued by federal regulators for his alleged role in a banking scandal.
0: The president's son, Neil, must explain at a public hearing why he approved $45 million in loans for a business partner.
6: I've got nothing to hide. I've cooperated fully, we will continue to do so. And uh, my view is the sooner, the better.
1: Neil Bush eventually settled that case out of court. And then there were the Clinton siblings, Bill's brother, Roger Clinton, and Hillary's brother, Hugh Rodham, both of whom got caught in alleged pay-to-play scandals during the Clinton administration. Roger Clinton was investigated by Congress, but he was never charged. More accusations this morning against the former president's brother, Roger Clinton, in the scandal surrounding his last-minute pardons. The New York Times reports Roger Clinton and his business partners are accused of promising a Texas businessman diplomatic passports in exchange for $30,000. Only yesterday,
6: Hillary Clinton tried to distance herself from the scandal swirling around her husband and her brother Hugh, who received $400,000 to get clemency for two wealthy felons. Ronald has returned the money and says he did nothing wrong. Today, NBC's Carrie Sanders caught up with him in a Florida bar.
2: Can I just talk? This to is place a place little... of business. No, please. Well, there's this a lot of people is... I are don't care the about that. I made my statement. That's all I'm saying.
1: And then there is the family of the 45th president, Donald Trump whose daughter Ivanka had 18 trademarks granted to her by the government of China while she was working as an advisor to her father, and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who got a staggering $2 billion investment from the government of Saudi Arabia after his father-in-law made him a key negotiator in that region. Where the Hunter Biden saga will fit into the history of presidential dramas very much remains to be seen. But so far, Hunter Biden is the only member of a president's extended family to get his own special counsel investigation. I'll talk to George Conway about, Republic- about what Republicans are doing here, about what Attorney General Merrick Garland is doing here, and what all of this means for the 2024 presidential race, coming up next.
4: Tuesday of this week, Mr. Weiss advised me that in his judgment, his investigation had reached a stage at which he should continue his work as a special counsel, and he asked to be so appointed. Upon considering his request, as well as the extraordinary circumstances relating to this matter, I have concluded that it is in the public interest to appoint him
2: as special counsel.
1: Earlier today, Attorney General Merrick Garland announced the appointment of a special counsel in the ongoing probe of the President's son, Hunter Biden. David Weiss is the U.S. attorney for Delaware. He was appointed by former President Trump, and he has been investigating Hunter Biden since 2018, so five years thus far. Less than three weeks ago, a plea deal Mr. Weiss offered Hunter Biden unraveled after a judge raised some questions about some of the terms, prompting the president's son to plead not guilty, which begs the question, if a plea deal was already in the works, after years of investigating... What more is there for the special counsel to investigate? Joining me now is lawyer and columnist George Conway. George, it's great to have you tonight. I I wonder what you think is going on here just in terms of the appointment of a special counsel after 5 years of investigation and after a plea deal that he brokered. What is what is happening?
2: Well, I think that the attorney general is being extra cautious here. I think there have been a lot of attacks on U.S. Attorney Weiss, notwithstanding the fact that he was a Trump appointee and is a holdover in the Trump administration, um, they're attacking him because he wasn't a special counsel, even though Weiss has been telling everyone that I I basically there was nothing I was not allowed to do. And I think it's particularly good because one of the things that has to happen under the special counsel regulations after the investigation is over is that the special counsel has to write a report. And I think that's going to be good for transparency here.
1: You So you think, okay? I guess you think that there is a purpose to all of this that sort of could put the issue to rest. I will note that Republicans have immediately decried the fact that David Weiss is being appointed the special counsel and that it shows that this is all a sham and not for real. I mean, one wonders if you truly think Republicans will be sated if and when a report comes out.
2: They won't be. And I I actually have my secret sources have given me a special um, uh, look at the Hunter Biden flowchart. Uh, for their talking points, and here's how it's here's how it goes. Starts out here. Um, you have the <laughs> Trump by a bar U.S. attorney. Uh, invest. That's good. Then you have Trump loses the election. Sad face. Trump coup fails. Sad face. And then you go over here. Biden takes over the investigation. The Biden administration takes over the investigation. Oh, sad. Double sad face. And then you go. A point to this does the does the biden Justice the appoint a special counsel if the answer is yes then then you you say there's a there's a there's a cover up um no if you say there's yes uh you 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 point a different prosecutor you say bad you're delaying this guy this 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 investigation because this guy invested for five years if you say yes but you would make a different person, the investigator, you say, oh, my God, it should have been someone else. This is terrible. This is your handpicked person. You should <laughs> it should have been Rudy, Rudy Giuliani.
1: Giuliani. Is that so, what that says? That, it should have been Rudy Giuliani. And of course, if you say
2: no special counsel, you get what they did originally, which was
1: cover up, cover up.
2: unfair. Yeah, unfair. Yeah. And then when all any of these goes and prosecutes. um uh, Hunter Biden and charges him through plea deal or an indictment. Well, if if, if if that happens, you say the charges are lame. There should be the death yeah. penalty. And what about what about Brandon? You should be charging Brandon. And then if if they don't charge, outrage. And then if you have to do it all over again because of a mistrial or the plea deal falls through, you go rinse and repeat and go up here. And that's where we are now.
1: Wow. Wow. I really appreciate your commitment to that flowchart and yeah, the detail with which you've presented that to the American public. I think everybody in the audience thanks you tonight as well, George. And yeah. it, it does expose the utter like fraudulence of the Republican claims around Hunter there's, Biden. There's no I would also
7: there.
1: just yeah, but I would also just say, I mean, I think it's important for the sake of history to point out, The number the 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 idea that someone in a president's extended family is involved in some unsavory, potentially sleazy deals that trade off his or her brother or sister or cousin's reputation is not a new thing in American politics. It doesn't make a good that doesn't make it a good thing. But that calls for strengthening ethics laws, not necessarily. I'm sorry, appointing a special counsel. Like, why didn't Billy Carter and Donald Nixon and Neil Bush and Roger Clinton get special counsels? I just I I, I wonder what What do you think of Merrick Garland's role in all of this?
2: Well, I think the problem is we this is an extraordinary time. And we have a sitting on the former president of the United States uh, under indictment in four uh, four places. And I I, I, and we have a particularly uh, charged. Uh, environment political environment and you know this guy was effectively u.s attorney weiss was effectively a special counsel as it was given his mandate to basically do whatever he felt he needed to do so why not make it official and just eliminate any any issues and then you get a report on the back end i i i, I understand it, it, if you're hunter biden or, or or the biden family you can't be happy with this but um look this is the this is the world we live in
1: Let me let me just ask you, George, I think that there's also the political dimension of this, too. I mean, I think you rightly point out there will be a report. There will be a process. And that is it is important to respect the process. But there is also the very real narrative that Republicans are clinging to, as as you point point out, Trump faces multiple federal criminal indictments in his own special uh, special counsel, can they shield themselves behind the fact that Biden has, that Hunter Biden has his own special counsel? Does this, is this a lifeline to Republicans who just want to use the old whataboutism to deflect from real concerns and criticisms directed at their front runner regarding his federal legal peril?
2: No, this is just designed to basically get the Republicans to go even farther off the deep end, I mean, if they're going to complain about this, which they asked for, um, they look even more ridiculous to to the mainstream uh, person watching this and who's actually paying attention and is not uh, watching Newsmax or Fox News or or what whatnot. So, I, I I think I think that. I think it's just a, another a different label for something that was already happening. This case, um, the plea deal um, fell apart. I mean, if there's any objection that the Biden should have, it's that you know, and th- there's a lot of lot of talk that these tax charges would not have been charged against anyone else; that it would have been settled civilly. Um, that that's the problem. If if there is a problem, um, we're already past that. Uh, the DOJ is going to prosecute. Hunter Biden, it appears. And um, it might as well just put all the bells and whistles on, whistles on it with the special counsel reg.
1: Well, I hope that you can laminate that flowchart uh, for I will, absolutely. distribution. We'll, uh, we'll slap a, a logo on it and give it out to people who are interested in knowing what the okay. inevitable outcome is. Can
2: I, can I put an MSNBC Peacock on it? Oh,
1: we'll have to talk to the branding department about that, but I, I admire okay. the ambition, George. Uh, Thank you, as always, for your time and and visual aids, George Conway. Appreciate you. Still to come this evening, Republican presidential candidates are in the state of Iowa paying their respects to the butter cow, eating pork chops on a stick, and otherwise pretending that Donald Trump isn't the undisputed frontrunner, at least for now. Will they break out of the Three Percenters Club anytime soon? That's coming up next. We're headed to the Iowa State Fair. I will be handing out pork on a stick with you tomorrow. We'll be sitting next with the butter cow.
2: I'm headed to see livestock.
4: There's a cow I met actually on the road traveling around Iowa named Chippy.
3: So I'm looking for Chippy today. Tomorrow you're gonna have six, five, and three unleashed at the Iowa State Fair. So watch out. I don't know what that's gonna mean. Probably a lot of fried Oreos. It's pretty
2: spectacular, the Iowa State Fair. They know how to get it done.
1: We are officially at the point in the election season when every presidential candidate heads to Des Moines and clogs his or her arteries in the name of wooing voters at the Iowa State Fair. Today, North Carolina Governor Doug Burgum got some FaceTime with the fair's one, six, sorry 600-pound butter cow before he chowed down on an egg on a stick. One of the 50 food items that is available on a skewer and, to be honest, one of the least inventive. Just an egg on a stick. Mike Pence and his wife, Karen, they flipped patties at the pork producer's tent. Presumably, those patties were pork burgers, which is interesting. Now, Ron DeSantis and his family posed with Albert, the world's largest bull statue, over in Audubon, Iowa. He will be arriving at the state fair tomorrow on the very same day as former President Donald J. Trump, who will not be alone. Trump will be accompanied by nine Florida Republicans who endorsed Trump over the state's governor, Ron DeSantis. Now, Trump currently has a 24-point lead in Iowa, but there is clearly some room for DeSantis or others here, given what certain Iowa fairgoers have to say about Trump's current dramas.
6: I think it was all right for the first time, but with everything going on, I just think it's time for a change. I think uh, a lot of my friends that voted for Trump are interested in a different candidate they feel that uh, he 's too divisive, so uh,
5: I think I 'm in that camp. We need to find somebody who doesn't have a whole train load of baggage
1: The same may not be true for Mike Pence, who got heckled at the state fair and may soon play a central role as the star witness in some of trump 's legal dramas we 're going to talk about all that coming up next.
2: Says he has a higher Trump, power. Trump. Uses Trump. those words. He is not a Christian when you Well, Pence has
5: no balls. I'm glad they didn't hang you.
1: I'm glad they didn't hang you. That was the the greeting that former Vice President Mike Pence received at the Iowa State Fair this week. Can you call it a greeting if it involves a suggested death threat? Anyway, Pence did his best to gin up enthusiasm for himself by flipping patties and eating a pork burger in the pork tent. Now, admittedly, it is hard out there when you are only polling at 3% in the first of the nation caucus state. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who has not yet arrived at the state fair, is tripling the former vice president right now. He's at 9% in the latest poll. Governor Ron DeSantis is at 20%. But everyone, all of them, they're all absolutely dwarfed by the man who will be showing up at the fair tomorrow, thrice indicted former president Donald Trump. I'm joined now by Tim Miller, writer at large at The Bulwark and Simone Sanders Townsend, host of Simone right here on MSNBC. Thank you both for being here. Tim, let me just. Let me start with you, since you've logged a lot of time in Republican circles here. It just strikes me how dramatically worse this landscape is going to keep getting for Mike Pence, who is going to likely be the star witness in a federal criminal case involving his former running mate. What, ha- what, what, what happens then, given where Mike Pence is at now?
6: I'm not sure if his campaign could get much worse, Alex. Uh, so who knows? Uh, you know, maybe there's a surprise positive silver lining in there for him. Uh, to be honest, I think that Mike Pence probably knows that his campaign was over before it started. Uh, I think that he feels genuinely called to do this, um, and he seemed, uh, for, on a scale of Mike Pence, like a little looser uh, lately. Uh, he was uh, speaking his truth, if you will, at the Iowa State Fair, um, and. I guess it's better to have him out there saying that than not. I don't think it really matters what his strategy is. Uh, Republican voters are not interested in Mike Pence at all. Um, you know, I, when I was in Iowa last weekend, I, I met a woman who said that she uh, shouted Mike Pence down the last time she saw him. That sounds like that's a relatively frequent greeting for him um, when he goes to Republican events in Iowa. Uh, that same New York Times poll, I think you cited, had Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the Democrat conspiratorial Democrat had a better favorability rating than Mike Pence among Republican caucus goers. So it's just not happening for him. And I think at this point, he's trying to uh, uh, say his piece about what happened.
1: Yeah, you know, and Simone, I actually think, like, for the purposes of history and, um, truth, it's important to have Mike, a Mike Pence in the Republican, what are we going to call it? Field of candidates, the, the very large field of candidates, because I will note, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, Simone, the day after the, the Jack Smith's federal indictment, uh, in and around Donald Trump's activities trying to uh, usurp the 2020 election, Mike Pence was was looser. Mike Pence was kind of angry seeming about what had happened. And it's important with someone who has a memory still intact to be there in the middle of a group of people who otherwise have very fraudulent accounts of what happened on January 6th. Do you agree with that?
7: I I absolutely agree. Look, um, I don't I don't think all of a sudden Republican voters are going to open their arms to Mike Pence. Uh, You know, Sarah Longwell, who I know Tim knows very well, has done a number of focus groups on the last couple of months with Republican voters, and they are just not feeling him. But it is important to speak truth. And that when it comes to January 6th, at least, that is, in fact, what Vice President Mike Pence, former Vice President Mike Pence is doing. And I think it will be important for him to stand on a debate stage on August 23rd whether or not Donald Trump is on that stage, and speak that truth. I think Mike Pence has gotten a little looser because it seems to me that he had not been in crowds like this, right, for a while. Former vice president, doing a lot of speeches, not out there with, you know, the people per se. And so he's had a couple go-rounds being out there with the people. And he is someone who is comfortable on the campaign trail, honey, unlike Governor Ron DeSantis.
1: Yeah, I do I want to talk about that. Uh DeSantis's candidacy as we all know is not gone as planned, Tim. Who actually is in, if anyone is to reap the benefits of Trump getting into real peril in terms of um his legal exposure here and potentially losing some strength in the polls? Is it who who's in best position to inherit some of that 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 fall off? Is it I mean the assumption would be DeSantis, but I wonder what you think of Tim Scott?
6: Yeah, I think this is why DeSantis is still around because probably him, I, I, and which is not a great sign just because of how weak his campaign has been. Like, in order to win a Republican primary, you're going to have to win a good chunk of the MAGA voters who really like Donald Trump as well as a good chunk of the 20-ish percent of Republican voters that are ready to move on, right? You've got to win from both camps. And the problem with Tim Scott is uh, he can win from the 20 percent that are ready to move on. But are the, Ma- are the MAGA's really going to go from a, for a pre-Trump era Republican, you know, who offers none of the kind of hard-hitting culture war stuff that they, that they like? I don't think so. Uh, then you've got a Vivek Ramaswamy, who I think is really singing from the MAGA hymn book, um, but he's not going to be able to get any of the old establishment types. And a 37-year-old guy spreading a bunch of 9-11 conspiracies is, is not the way to win the establishment Republicans, right? So the thing the th- DeFantis was the bridge candidate, and he just hasn't been very good at walking across it uh, to torture the metaphor. And so I, those are the three guys, and, and none of them seem particularly well-positioned, which is why Trump seems so strong.
1: Yeah, I mean, Trump's strength here is it is sort of impervious to reality, Simone. But I do want to talk to you about Hunter Biden and how the Republican candidates are, of course, seizing on the news that he's going to be investigated by a special counsel, the same person who's been investigating him for the last five years. Uh, what this is going to be a campaign issue and what do Democrats what does Biden do about it because it is going to come up and thus far they have not wanted to weigh in on either special counsels the one that Trump is dealing with or the one that Joe Biden's son is going to have to deal with and I kind of wonder what you think happens now
7: Look, I think that um, especially now that a special counsel has been appointed in the Hunter Biden case, I think it's just ups the ante that we will not hear from President Biden on this. I think except for maybe an interview where he is pressed and even then the interviewer is going to have to decide if they're going to go back at the president of the United States again when he's giving the same answer, I think. More the place where we are going to see this really unfold is next year on a debate stage where Joe Biden is standing on a stage with the Republican nominee for president. And that is where I think this will at most come to a head. Saying that there is not a venue, if you will, that President Biden will be present in where he, in fact, will be pressed. Again, stands an interview where he's going to give the answer he has always given. And it's up to the interviewer to decide if they'll press for more.
1: Yeah. So so I got to ask you, because I was talking to Claire McCaskill about this last night, and I just I think there are some Democrats that want Biden to say something, to be more aggressive, Mm -hmm. to be more incredulous about the treatment that his son is getting. Do you get the sense that anyone in the White House is feeling that way? Well,
7: Yes and no. I think that the reality is, is that the people in the White House serve at the pleasure of the president. And it is very important when you serve at the pleasure of the president to understand what the president's wishes are and what what the president may feel or say or do privately runs counter to can, in fact, run counter to what the public um what, what he has put forth in the public and what they have said their barometer is for dealing with this Department of Justice. And so I think there are two things at play here. One, the treatment of his son, his only surviving son. And then two, the, the freedom that he believes that the Department of Justice, an independent Department of Justice, should have to do their work. Now, I guess the last thing that I'll note is that there are folks out here saying, oh, Hunter Biden is getting special treatment. Joe Biden really needs to answer for the special treatment of his son. I mean, the man is literally under investigation. He got a special counsel. Yeah.
6: What?
7: Yes,
1: exactly. That's the special treatment. Tim Miller, Simone Sanders Townsend. Thank you, my friends. Simone's show, of course, airs right here on MSNBC every Saturday and Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Really appreciate you guys. That is our show for tonight. Hey, parents.
0: Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, Kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.